Hello, welcome back once again. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. I am Mike Casazzo. Very quickly welcoming in here a man with a special occasion. Chris Anderson has a whole bunch of candles on the plate in front of him. He's in a hurry. And he's the only one that's in a hurry because we had another two and a half hour basketball game today. These things are getting to be extraordinary feats of strength and will to get through. Um, not quite the ref show today, but given the two teams out there playing and the people in stripes, uh, quite a mix for a, um, ooh, I don't want to say it was hard to watch because that might be going too light. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, if you're not going to say it, I will, because that was, that was a very uh, long and painful two and a half hours today. Do you see something problematic here? Is it two teams that are physical and by nature foul each other? Do you think it's refs having to say, you know what, that first half was darn near fluid. Um, I probably should get in the way and call a lot of fouls. Is it just the nature of inconsistency in the officiating and application of the rules? How are we getting these marathons? Well, I think with these two teams and with West Virginia and Texas Tech, they are both or all three um, physical. They play a physical brand of ball. They play on defense. No one's going to get free. You're, you're not going to cut free. You're not going to post free. You're not going to pass free. There's always going to be contact. And you see it a lot with these refs, and and this goes for all sports, all levels really, but um, I, I feel like it's pretty bad, uh, pretty prevalent here is that they kind of get influenced by what the coaches are saying and, and the feedback they're getting because the game may start out a certain way and then the coaches will start complaining. Hey, God, look at him bumping these cutters coming across here. Look at the way he's sticking his knee and his arm and his back while he's trying to post up. you got to call that. you got to call that. And maybe the ref wasn't calling it, and now he's going to. And it's getting, it's getting tighter and tighter as the game goes on, which just makes these games kind of just drag on. Yeah, it's uh, boy, you could spend a whole lot of time going over this, but I think that's going to be as annoying and as aggravating as the experience itself. But it's it's kind of epidemic and there's no cure. And every time they try to fix it, it just seems like it it makes the problem worse. But certainly there's something about Kansas State that makes you sink to a certain depth. It's not pretty. And West Virginia is as susceptible to being lowered to that depth, too. But I look at it today and um, boy, they're two big shooters, uh, McGurl and Snead, 0 for 10 from 3. They shoot just 36.7%. West Virginia can take it down a notch, too. And we talked about right opponent, wrong opponent after a loss, uh, and they lost on Wednesday. And after the game, we said, right team, wrong team. I think the revenge was good. And I also think the fact that maybe West Virginia is not polished at times on offense. You don't have to be great offensively to beat Kansas State. You're going to have to you're gonna have to muddy up some stuff. And, and it looks like that actually worked out today, too, because they weren't good offensively, but they were better offensively. I, I, we, I look at this team. Who, who would you say? It's making me think back to that Kansas game where we went through the entire roster and said, got one good half out of Oscar and nothing on anybody else. Um, defensively, I think a lot of people contributed, uh, but offensively, what do you got? Culver? But I mean, he was solid today, mm-hmm. not perfect, but solid. And then a couple big shots from Harler in there late yeah 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 just a little kind of a a a little window there but not much else and and that's it like i just there was it it was it's just not pretty and i don't know we're still not finding answers on on the wings here uh huggins talked about it in the post game said i 
I threw everyone out there. I gave everyone a try to, to make an open shot, and nobody was doing it. So it's uh, it seems like the experiment will continue. Hey, let's stop there for a second because Mr. Analytics, Bob Huggins, who frequently chides analytics and then describes how much he actually likes analytics without saying it, because <laughs> because honestly, like understanding where a team gets its shots and where a player gets his shots and what a player likes to do to get going, yeah, that's that's a key to understanding how to win, but that's also analysis. That's analytics. So um, I think maybe he conflates the math and thinking that we're all into the math and he's not so much. But yesterday he has the media gaggle around him before the, the, um, the game today. And he says, you want to know something? And he pulls out a sheet of paper that's been folded a couple times and he has numbers written on there and it's numbers for being uncontested, which means you don't have anybody within like a body length of you. Um, step in shots, which means you just get it, you're open and you step in, and then uncontested step in, which is a combination of the two. And they're miserable numbers. Miserable. They define the uh, really bad field goal and three-point shooting of this team. Um, I, I, I was stunned that not only he produced them or that he kept them, but like I was I was really curious why at that point he pointed out how bad they were. And he said, you know, want to know why we lost four games? We can't shoot, which is kind of true. And I guess it doesn't really surprise you when you hear the numbers because you, you use your eyes and you watch and it's not very good. But uh, those were stark compared to like what they should be. And today, no better. And he tried a bunch of different guys. And it just makes me wonder, like you keep asking eight or nine guys to help you and maybe four of them have any business doing it. But I, he thinks it's going to correct itself. And sooner or later, guys who are allowed to keep shooting are going to make it. It could also be the opposite. And like we're 21 games into this now and like it's still a problem. Before I give my thoughts on something, I, I want to give you kudos for that picture uh, that you got of him yeah. pulling it out. You got him right in the moment. I, at first, I didn't, I couldn't figure out what that picture was that you took and, and put with the story, uh, and then it hit me as I read the story. But here's my question for you, it, and it's related to his comments about he tried everyone. I feel like we're he's trying everyone every game, and guys are getting eight minutes. You get you get two chances to make a shot, and if you're not making it, back to the bench. It does there come a point because we've heard people. I mean, I, I think this story is old as time of, of shooters saying, you know, shooters shoot and they got to shoot their way out of, of a funk. They got to shoot their way into it, whatever. Is, is there going to come a point where he has to pick, say, four or three and just ride it? Or do you think it's best to keep kind of throwing eight, nine guys out on the perimeter and seeing what happens? Well, to answer that question, let me ask you this question. Do you think that someone or somebody or some collection of people have done that already? Like, would you would you go with that in mind and do that? But are there people that fulfill those parameters? Uh, no. I would think Sherman has probably earned the chance, but wasn't especially good today, especially defensively, too. Um, Harler is maybe the more consistent player, but we're talking, hey, he made three shots, but two of them were in the last, what, 100 seconds maybe. Um, mm -hmm. And then really those are your best two shooters. McNeil is – am I crazy? Does he kind of staple himself to one side of the floor on offense? He does, and I, I feel like – I feel like he can bring so much more than just some guy that stands on the on the you know on the right wing and shoots. Like I feel like he can. He had a little floater today, although that seemed awkward and kind of impromptu. But he's so big, he's so long, he has nice body control. I feel like he can do more, but he kind of he limits himself. The defense isn't limiting him a lot of the times. I feel like I think he has, you know, kind of stuck himself into one spot and one thing that he's going to do. 
And it stagnates the offense a little bit because, again, you put five guys on the floor because you want to play five on five. And I understand the numbers, want you want to get them on your side. So if you can keep one player on one side of the floor and bring that defender there, then it's about being uneven and unbalanced and creating that. You get that, but he doesn't move. He just kind of floats around that sideline, that wing area. And twice today he kind of flashed and he got a straight on three that he missed and then he got a, a, a three on the wing really not long after that and he missed it too, but – he created the opening and gave himself really good shots. And, and West Virginia is not a team that's going to drive and kick out to the three-point line very often. You know, the bigs can pass it outside, but it's a chore to get the ball inside. I just feel like he could help himself in there by the offense so much if he moves a little more, which is weird because if you watch Harler, that's his thing uh, is he doesn't stop and he mm-hmm. makes that defender really work. And I think that you've seen at times, you know, Haley does that every so often. Um, Napper can do that when he plays off guard. Uh, Haley will do that. Um it can work. It's something that I think that maybe he would see it and do it. And I will say this, though. He played excellent defensively today, McNeil. Uh, a couple steals, took a charge, um, and that's mostly help defense where he was getting into passing lanes. Uh, he was recovering, coming from the weak side to make a play. So that suggests that he can, in fact, move, and there is potential there. But I think if he gets going offensively um, by getting open a little bit, that might be a guy you put in that conversation. But So, yeah, who would it be? That's a hard question. But I'd also go, let me ask you this. Are we maybe seeing uh, a lean in that direction? Because you know, Napper was back today, but even in the past couple of games, uh, Sherman had gotten some run, McNeil had gotten some run, and then Harler kind of gets a standard minutes. It seems like those are the three guys they're going to rely on now and just uh, try to say, you guys are going to get me something out of the two. And Haley's basically playing a lot of three right now. Well, and he didn't even play that much. I was about to bring up yeah. your, your starting, say, perimeter guys, your three perimeter guys, McCabe, Haley, and Matthews Jr., Combined for seven points, three rebounds, three assists, and five fouls, and only played 33 combined minutes. And, you know, your top three perimeter guys were McBride, Harler, and McNeil gets the edge there. But Napper was the one playing the key minutes down the stretch, you know, that late in the second half. He was he was in there instead of McNeil as that third perimeter player. Um Man, I you know I talked a lot in the preseason about I don't care about the starting five. I have my closing five, and what's ironic about that is that I put Harler on my starting five because I didn't think he would be my closing five. But here we are now. He's part of that that quote closing five, and I think it's more important. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that Napper and McNeil are getting that look instead of you know a couple other guys. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We also mentioned our top eight, which people hate the heck out of. It's unbelievable. <laughs> but 
I have a hard time doing that now because you probably have your and I'm sketching here, so don't get me, you know, too too pinned into a corner. But you have your your top four pretty clearly. I think um, you're gonna have Culver, Shibway, McBride. Man, I mean, and then I don't know. Do you, geez, do you put Harler in that group? I don't know. So you have your top three, but I really feel like the difference between four and eight, and then honestly between eight and ten is not dramatic anymore yeah. i guess gabe would be in your top five just because of everything he does so you have your top five pretty clearly but when you look at gabe's offense and when he's not on the floor like he, he had a hard time about today but honestly the difference between four slash five and eight and then eight and ten is at this point for for better for worse um it's not a major difference no and i think i, I like the idea of having gabe in there as a four I think it is a little bit awkward with him as the as the third guy, or you know, playing with Oscar and Culver at the same yeah. time. I don't, we haven't seen that much. That once, yeah. But um, yeah, I would definitely, I would have him in my five, but maybe not in that starting five, just not with those three guys, those other two guys. But yeah, I agree. He's he's definitely in there, and yeah, there's not much difference towards that seven, eight, nine, ten guys. At yeah, all. but if, if you're prioritizing who gets on the plane, he's gonna, I mean, he's gonna be one of the first five guys. He's gonna have yeah. a seat, you know. So he's he's that important to what they do too. Are there pairings you like? I'm very intrigued by what I see from McBride and Napper as a backcourt. You can have some fun with that three spot and maybe even the four spot too. You can do some stuff with maybe Haley and Matthews, Haley and Osaboyan, Haley and one of the two bigs, um, maybe even Matthews, I guess too. But those two kind of seem like they're punchy point guards. They can both get their shots. They're they're kind of raw as point guards, but they're the two guys who can really create out of the backcourt on their own too, and that does open some things up. Not great finishers, um, not really willing passers when they get on the bounce and near the basket too, but I like the fact that they can create a little bit when they're together, and it's two am, instead of one. No, I'm 100% in agreement. As soon as okay. you started saying uh, you know, interesting pairings, that was the first thing I thought up. I thought about it during the game. Uh, when McBride and Napper were kind of running together down the stretch there, that I get that, you know, neither of them are really that tall, but I I feel like they play bigger than they are uh, out there on the perimeter. They got long hands, they can jump, they got a little bounce to them, and they can create on offense. So I I like the idea of the two of them out together. And like you said, kind of rotating what you do at three and four. If you put another shooter out there with Gabe or uh, somebody out there and then Oscar next to to Culver, it, it... leaves you a lot of possibilities because the two of them can both handle the ball and can both shoot and both uh, create. Kansas State committed 23 fouls today. 13 were on Culver and Shibway. They had really no answer for those two. Surprised that Shibway didn't get going more or better than he did. Um, Culver certainly had his way. I'd like to see him be more consistent at the free throw line, but um, West Virginia had kind of a directive and it went at it and it worked, worked pretty well, well enough. Uh, hey, they could have lost this game. I don't I don't think that's a stretch to say. Had Sneed and or McGurl made some shots. Had Diara maybe not gotten in foul trouble and had he been able to play more. Who knows? It could be different. But when you look at West Virginia's season right now, four losses. And then after that, uh, after one loss to St. John's, beat a pretty good Austin P team. That's a pretty good mid-major team. Lost to Kansas, won by 14 on the road against Oklahoma State. Lost to Kansas State, destroyed Texas at home, lost to Texas Tech, and didn't lose this game. Won it. But this could have been bad, and it could have been an 0-2 stretch. Uh, they're 4-0 after losses, which is probably pretty good for a team that's this young and this new to everything still, too. Um, how much of a, of a coincidence is that maybe, and how much of that is maybe a credit to the team? Well, I think they do have some fire on them, but let's also look at kind of the, the games that were right after it. 
after some of these losses, like Texas, Oklahoma State, Kansas State. Um, who was after St. John's? Uh, Austin, Austin P. P. So I, I I'm not trying to burst the bubble here, but it, the the bounce back games have been very favorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, easier opponents, but like you said, even with that in mind, uh, it's still impressive just because it's such a young team and we've seen their issues with kind of getting up every once in a while. This might get tested sometime later here. Uh, they go to Oklahoma, and then they get Kansas at home. I'm not saying they'll lose at Oklahoma, but we've seen them play in the road. And then Kansas after that. Uh, Kansas never wins here, but hey, maybe. Um, <laughs> you play Baylor, and you go to Oklahoma State, so that's okay. you got to go to TCU and then two Texas back-to-back road games. That's no fun. And then what will be interesting is what happens that final game of the season. They play Baylor. Who knows what's on the line there? But... They're probably going to have a first round buy in the tournament, have some time off, more time than they've had off in a while. And, you know, I guess that kind of resets the deck a little bit, but they're going to have some tricky back to backs too. Post game locker room, um, they are very much alive in the Big 12 title race, they think. Were they reading your story? I don't know. I thought, I, I, apparently, I wasn't the only one that wrote this, I guess, but uh, I just I just thought math and history were pretty pretty much my guiding light there, but didn't get that. Um, but I was surprised that they were still that adamant about it and just kind of said, listen, we beat Kansas. That gets one of them back. We beat Baylor. You know, we're one back from them instead. And then, you know, have a tiebreaker if, you know, and then if you beat them twice and okay. I mean, the, the truth is, yeah, the answer is no, they're not out of it, but they do have long odds too. Uh, let's get into officiating thing before we go here. The, the tanglement between Sneed and Harler on the baseline. Um, it became very confusing. First it was a foul just on Harler and then it was a flagrant foul on Sneed it turned out to be just a contact foul on a dead ball, which led to some confusion on who shot the free throws, too. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, live, it looked kind of cheap by Harler. I don't think it was unlike what happened to Emmett Matthews at the end of the Northern Iowa game. I remember, everybody loved that call, and I thought it was garbage, where he kind of went up and got undercut by a defender um, who was trying to box out. Similar thing here. Maybe there's shades of differences, but I thought he undercut a guy who was going up for a free throw, and I saw that happen in the Cancun Challenge Classic Invitational, and it was a flagrant foul that pretty much decided that game. Not the case here. A little bit different adjudication, but uh, just a common foul on Harler, and then the big foul on Sneed for grabbing him around the neck. Um, Didn't seem like it was clean and organized to me, but what did you like or dislike about that? Well, my first thought was I was a little confused about the call, period, because the ball went over the basket. So I thought they had just whistled out of bounds in West Virginia ball because the shot clock went off, but of course it hit the rim, so the ball's still alive. But it bounced over the backboard and went out of bounds. So I just assumed play was over, West Virginia ball. And I I wouldn't have called anything. I mean, maybe that's yeah. – I wouldn't have called anything on either guy. I, I did not think it was a – a technical or flagrant foul on Snead. I did not think my my the reason I I saw it as differently with Harler than the one you're talking about with Matthews back in Cancun mm-hmm. was the initial contact between Harler, especially when I saw it on replay, was Harler had already made contact on a box out before the Kansas State player tried to jump. He was already boxing him out. Like if if the Kansas State player had jumped and was in the air and then Harler backed into him. That's undercutting. But Harler already had contact, had initiated contact, and was in contact with the player for like a full two or three seconds before the player tried to jump. And the guy just kind of had already been driven back a few feet and then just jumped in the air as he was being boxed out. And 
So I, I would have just said play on. I would have said out of bounds and no foul call because, like I said, I, I didn't think that was undercutting and I didn't think it was overly flagrant on Kansas State player. I think he was just kind of going down and, and reaching out uh, for something to grab onto. Yeah, I, I wondered if he backed up once he felt the contact because, like you said, that was a weird bounce and maybe that gave Snead a, an idea that he could get to that. Um, didn't work out that way, but, again, I just thought they were going to call Harler for – backing up once the guy was in the air, which that would be a flagrant. They get a review. They don't give him a flagrant. Um, McNeil ends up shooting the free throws, which didn't make any sense, but apparently when it's a dead ball foul, and perhaps it's a dead ball because that ball was out of play, like you mentioned, uh, then you get to pick your free throw shooter. And um, so they went to McNeil, and McNeil makes his two free throws too. So play on would have been a good one, I think, there. But, uh, hey, West Virginia plays on Wednesday night. That's going to be a busy day, Chris. Uh, Something of significance Right away, early in the morning, I can't seem to put my finger on it. Maybe you can refresh my memory. Uh, but also, Iowa State at night, um, large day Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday is going to be signing day. The, ah, yes. The original signing day, which is now the late signing day, I guess, which is kind of the backup signing day. Um, you know, obviously in December, West Virginia signs uh, a, a, the vast majority of their class this week. Who knows really what to expect? I'm actually kind of excited about it. It, it sounds weird, uh, but there are a handful of guys that West Virginia is after, and a couple of them are quote-unquote committed, and a couple might also commit, but maybe not all of them are going to sign on Wednesday. And I think that that's kind of the excitement around it. There is some intrigue here about guys who – want to commit to West Virginia, but maybe can't or can commit, but not sign. Uh, and, and what that means is that typically uh, that means that the coaches are kind of waiting on confirmation that they'll be cleared academically. So a, a kid can verbally commit and then sign later once the test scores and the GPA line up with the uh, NCAA clearinghouse. But it, it's, I would say there's four kids, maybe five, that we're we're looking at here, and there's an interesting story, like a twist, with all five of them. And really, it's unclear who's going to truly be. I think we have an idea of at least three of them that'll be committed in some way, but how many of those three will be signed, and what happened? What about the other two? Will they commit? So it's going to be more interesting than I thought. Uh, just a week ago, I thought it was going to be a pretty boring and nothing's going to happen signing day. And now I'm thinking there could be a couple twists. I'm proud of myself. I wrote about this in the three things last week. I thought it was going to be a weird signing day. Like we were kind of conditioned to think that the, the December thing steals all the thunder, but it looked to me and you've just, you've not only read the tea leaves, you printed them and sold them for 50 cents in the street corner on a Sunday morning, but it does seem like it's going to be very strange. So again, we'll have to get into more depth than that in some type of this conversation uh, early next week. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. All right, well, you got plans, I got plans, and we don't have a whole lot more to talk about here, so uh, let's wrap it up now for this time. I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.